0: 0818 715 815.
1: Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Liveline. Katie Hannon with you until three o'clock today. And I can tell you, we've been getting a lot of listeners in touch with us uh, supporting the campaign to properly honour the Clancy brothers. Clancy Brothers, of course, the U2 of the 1960s. Um, there's a proposal now that the public park in their hometown of Carrick and Shure be named Clancy Park uh, in recognition of their contribution to music and to the country and to the and to the Iron Jumper, we should say as well. And as I say, keep those calls coming. Uh, we want to get to those uh, shortly. But uh, the clock is ticking for my next caller. So I want to bring him in straight away. Uh, Sarah Fraz, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Katie. Thank you very much,
1: Sarfras. okay, so you were really looking forward to a very big family event, your daughter's wedding.
2: Yes, Katie, I am so grateful that you are taking me online. My daughter is getting married. The wedding date is twenty second of October, and we have another function before that on fourteenth
1: the fourteenth so that's next that's tomorrow week, Sarfraz. yeah
2: tomorrow week. And we are still waiting for our parcel to be delivered which carries all of our important wedding dresses and all the all these fancy custom-made dresses for my family and my daughter.
1: So these dresses were coming all the way from Pakistan. You're, you're originally from Pakistan yourself. Yeah. And you're, you're here yes, now. I'm
2: originally, I'm originally from Pakistan, living in Ireland for the last about 27 years now. Yeah. And uh, we... Got all these fancy dresses because you can't get them from Ireland because they are so different and they are custom made, especially for weddings, for our Asian weddings. So we bought them from Pakistan and then my family sent them by post from Pakistani Post. It was supposed to come to my newly address, which is my work address, but I live in Dublin. And uh, the reason for sending to Nuri was that we thought that it would be very quick service from Pakistan to u k because there are there are multiple and plenty of flights from Lahore to uh, London. They are very frequent flights, so I thought it would be arriving in a couple of weeks' time, mm-hmm. and this parcel was sent by uh, post on the twelfth of August, but due to an error, the parcel went to or came to Ireland. And it is with
1: the end post now, yeah. the last the last well, the last known sighting uh, of it, basically, uh, according to the tracking, you've sent us in the the tracking number. and that tells us that on this twelfth of September, that package, that parcel with those wedding dresses and all the other wedding outfits, they that that was in the port leash um sorting center, the Port leash mail center. and uh, we don't know where it is now, really. That's 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 the last we, we know of it for sure. Yeah. Uh, will you yeah. hang on? Hang on there, Sarfaz, because I know we've got your daughter on the other line. Uh, Heba, good oh. afternoon. good afternoon, Heba. Hiya, how are you, Heba? You must be stressed, are you? Oh, don't even
3: like. I actually, do you know? There's so many, and I'm sure anyone who's ever gotten married knows the amount of like work there is to do. You know. Like there's so many different people to organize, so many things to sort out. And then on top of that, something you just expected to have, you know, gone one, two, three. It's just gone somewhere else now, do you know? And, like,
1: just, <laughs> and just to explain to people, you didn't like, you weren't cutting it fine or anything. Like the, these the, these were posted, uh, you know, these were ordered and, and made and posted Exactly, yeah. Ago. So
3: we went back to Pakistan. We went and got everything. We picked out the fabrics, got everything. Sized up, made to measure, like the stuff is all made to measure, you know? And we left it in the hands of my cousin who was to send it over. And we sent it over two months ago. We we're like, ah, oh, Grant, plenty of time. It'll arrive in time. Mm-hmm. And here we are two months later and no sight of it. Like, And the worst part is that everyone we've spoken to from On Post, nobody, nobody just wants to tell us the truth. We just get told, oh, yeah, it's on your way. We got told by someone two weeks ago it'd be sent that evening and literally no no sight of it since then and every time we ring we just get told, like, told a bit about it. they're there it's going to arrive don't worry about it but like we just need to know where it is because the last I spoke to OnPost they told me Revenue have it so I spoke to Revenue and Revenue said they don't have it so it's just come down to I just, I'm just convinced nobody knows where it is
1: Well we've been talking to OnPost as well today obviously since you got on or since your dad got on to us and um they are we're waiting an update from them. They say they're looking into it, so hopefully we we might we might be able to get some way further, Hiba. but I can imagine the frustration of knowing Honestly, that it was so close like in Port leash and that it didn't actually arrive. like
3: we have made every attempt. we've told them we can come collect it like i I work in a hospital, but I can always take time out to go collect something like this like it's it's important, you know. But we've offered to collect it, we've offered to send it to an Irish address, if that makes it easier for them, whatever we can do. But the, the truth of the matter is, I don't think anyone knows where it is, and nobody wants to say it's missing. And if it's missing, we can start the backup plan. Yeah. But the amount of money, I don't have the money, because as you can imagine, for a wedding, you have so much money going into different things. I don't want to think hundreds of euros into a backup plan when it's going to arrive like tomorrow <laughs> you know if it's going to arrive tomorrow i don't want to i know start the backup plan process
1: i uh, need the weeks for it though and just to explain in terms of a backup plan because these are not like wedding dresses that that uh, an irish bride might just r- run down to the <laughs> no. local wedding shop and say have you got something on the on the hanger there that i could uh quickly you know alter no, for myself exactly explain just explain because there's two two wedding dresses because you have two Two wedding events, two events, don't you? And this is yeah. this is traditional in uh, a Pakistani Muslim uh, wedding.
3: Yeah, exactly. I, re- I really wanted to do things the way my parents have done things because they have done so much for us, and we just love. Their- we love the culture that we were brought up with. We just want to pay homage to both of it. So we're having the wedding in Ireland, but we want to bring as many aspects from my parents' home to here. So we were going all out. We were getting all the right outfits. So for the two events, so what kind of we wear in Pakistan? They kind of wear like a big, like it's a really giant skirt is beyond my Twitter. They're
1: <laughs> absolutely beautiful. I was actually looking them up there. They're they're so they're so <laughs> beautiful. The, the 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 those those wedding dresses and the the head pieces, no, the headgear. It.
3: Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing. Like these are things that people embellish by hand. They're made embroidered. They're all. The work, it's silk, it's all like red, you know, m- like my dress that's coming is red. Um, it's all in different, like it's just so much work has gone into it. And then to just know that it's missing somewhere and nobody knows where it is, you know. And it was sent by registered post as well. You always get told registered post is the way to go. And then that's also done nothing. But at the end of the day, like my dad alluded to, it was never actually meant to make it to on post. It was meant to go straight to Royal Mail. So I don't know why... It's been kept in the country for so long.
1: So yeah, because as we say, it was ending up, and it was uh, the the address on the package is actually Newry. So you thought it was going to be a Royal Mail uh, delivery. Handling. That's yeah. what we were
3: thought. Of. We were shocked to see it on the Irish um, system when we looked up on on post, We looked up the tracking. We were just shocked to see it there. We weren't expecting it to ever make it that way. You know, I just assumed when it landed in Dublin, and someone realised, oh, hang on, this is not meant to be this is not going to a, a Republic of Ireland address. They should have just handed it straight over to
1: Royal Mail for them to sort it out. Yeah, well, all but we know, just, all we know from know, our... know yeah, from yeah, <laughs> but from our conversations with, with On Post, all we know is that they, that they have the tracking number as you would, you you have the trafing, tracking number and uh, they they are they tell us they will look into it. So, look, we we won't write them off just yet. Um, I hope perha- so. <laughs> per- perhaps we, Perhaps we will be, um, we, you know, hopefully, uh, if, uh, if uh, you know, it's highlighted like this, somebody will be able to locate it for you. Tell me more about the wedding, though, because I'm just fascinated by these different wedding no, traditions. It's, it's a lot
3: of colour. So I know, like, the way that an Irish wedding would be, it's very kind of the bride wears white and then there's a lot of pastels and kind of, Colours like that. For us, it's all about the colour because it's really a celebration. It's a celebration for the groom side that they're, you know, they've a new, a new bride taken as their family member. So it's a very big moment for them. But it's also a big moment for the girl's family because it's kind of just this like passing on of like the responsibility of their daughter onto somebody else. You know, giving their beautiful daughter away to somebody else. So these weddings are usually done in such a way that there's a lot of colour, a lot of, you know, celebration. You, and all you, the clothes we're getting are kind of representative of that colour. So my mum's clothes are in there
1: as well. Like, she's nothing to wear out of now um, as well. And uh, do you do the henna? Do you know the henna uh, Exactly. So the event
3: on the 14th of October. That's the, that's the henna night. So on that, we'll be having all the ladies together. There'll be like the henna, that'll be done as well for myself and also some of the bridesmaids and that and so that the clothes for that event were also in this parcel as well so you can imagine this is a bit of a it's a bit of a nightmare at this point because at this point we have nothing for either of the events that are coming up you know and if we want something else we need to know like essentially this week so we can start getting and it's just the money like you know yourself it's we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis you know and then on top of that you know I'm getting married which is great and all that but the money has to come from somewhere as well. Like, who's actually responsible for the fact that I have to go and order brand new clothes from scratch and get them ha- get them here ASAP?
1: You know. And is your uh, your groom, that your fiance, is yeah. he is he Irish based as well, or? <laughs> so he's actually from England. We met through
3: family. He's actually English, so he's not here. <laughs> he doesn't. He knows that there's trouble with the post. But he doesn't know exactly what the. What the trouble is? I didn't want to bother him until we knew it was
1: for sure missing. Oh my god because so he doesn't actually—he no he, he doesn't actually know that this drama is going on over here ahead of the wedding. No, he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's just—it's it, one—it's enough. Like my, like my, like myself and my family are stressed. They want to stress out a whole separate, you know, my like my husband to be in his family. Like, are they? Are they?
1: Like, are they, they <laughs> sorry, sorry, but Are they from a Pakistani <laughs> backgr- background as well?
3: They are, yeah. That's why we we were really keen on just doing everything, kind of essentially by the book in terms of our parents and doing right by them and making sure that we did this the traditional way.
1: Oh, I don't know what to say to you. Uh, I'll just ask your your dad. Um, <laughs> have you got a very stressed out house at home, Sarah? Fred.
2: Yes, yeah, we ha- uh, we have very 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 nice nice uh, atmosphere, but uh, since uh, this happened, since we have kind of lost our parcel, mm-hmm. so every day we talk about it, and I really feel that perhaps we are in a blind end, and uh, will we every day we pray that someday a door will open, and we'll hear oh great news the parcel is on the way. And uh, Katie, I rang so many people. I contacted customer service numerous times. I don't want to mention their names. I email emailed so many people. I emailed to CEO of Anpost, who is Mr. McDermott, mm-hmm. or Mr. McRedman, and sent a complaint to GPO GPO, O'Connor State. I did everything by the book, with the hope that I will get some reply. The only reply I got was one email. They said, we have located your parcel and it's on its way and that was on 26th of September. Since then every day our every family member checks on the tracking system that uh, is there a parcel moved from Port Leash and every time we see parcel is still in Port Leash on post office. So we are really very very uh, frustrated at this stage and we are so thankful for your kind words.
1: You must be very proud of your daughter that she's taking on so much of the family traditions.
2: Oh, she's my beautiful daughter. I love her so much, and I am feeling so really down that I that I feel perhaps this was my fault. That's why I feel very bad about it. Why? Because we live in Dublin, and I work in Newry. So I thought if I, you know, the is lived in Newry, it will very quick service so this was my feeling i could have asked them to bring or to send the parcel to dublin address but i feel sometimes that it's all my fault that parcel why i asked them to send the parcel to newry i was actually optimistic it will be delivered to newry very fast because of direct connection of flights between uh, pakistan and the uk mm-hmm. but it it uh, it obviously gone the wrong way so that's why i feel you know myself Guilty, perhaps I should not have done it.
1: But I'm but, sure, uh, I'm sure Heba doesn't blame you. Hiba, do you want to no. reassure your dad there? You know while well, he's here, and just for
3: the whole for everyone to hear, of course I don't hold, I don't hold you responsible. I don't hold you responsible, Dad. Like it's not your, it's really not your fault. The people who are responsible, I think we all know who very well is responsible. You know, that's what it comes down to. It just comes down, and mistakes happen. I do understand mistakes happen, but. When a mistake happens, then you need to own up to it. You need to say it's what's happened so we know what's happened and we can start working towards... Because, obviously, like life is unpredictable. These things can happen. And if they do happen yeah. where a parcel has gone missing, they just need to say so.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, this is indicated that this uh, uh, custom charge letter came to me, came to our new address uh, on 8th of September. So I was very happy yeah. on that. day. were great. We found the parcel. And, Immediately, just to, he paid the custom charges.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to say so. So you did yeah. get you got the the request for the custom charges. It was something like whatever it was, forty quid or something to pay for customs, and that was paid. And it, and you have confirmation that that went through on the eighth of September. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, definitely. So that's not yeah. the issue. Whatever is holding it up, it shouldn't be the customs issue because you have a receipt for that those customs charges. So you know, uh, you know, things do, I suppose, just. Get put to one side uh, and and get overlooked, and there are lots of stories of parcels and you know this happens with luggage as well, lost luggage that people think are gone and and lost forever, but they do turn up when when uh, there's an all points bulletin put out uh, to find it. So we are we are really we're still we're not we haven't given up here yet. I don't know when when is your cutoff point, Heba, uh, for this? When do you really say for okay me that's kind it? Of-
3: Mentally, it was this weekend, because, like, to do a replacement and to do a replacement, like, once again, who's going to pay for (laughs)
1: this? Where would you you go looking for wedding dresses for a Pakistani wedding now? I I have a very lovely cousin. She's amazing. She's honestly, she's the one who's been
3: sorting most of my business from Pakistan. So, honestly, like, she's been very worried this whole time. Like, she's just stressed a bit. So, she'd be more than happy to go essentially running around to get my replacement. And then we'd have to send that like DHL or something just to get it here on time. And that, you know, as you can imagine, these dresses are heavy. It's gonna be a lot of money. And just once again, like like it's expensive. These things are really expensive to do. You just don't expect to do things twice. You don't put aside the money to do these things twice
1: but also your your wedding dress is so personal to you you know you literally it's you'd, not going to be
3: the same yeah. it's just it's not going to be the same one that i had you know and everyone wants the dress they dreamed of when they were a little girl right i'm not going to get that again if it doesn't show up this time like I, it's just going to be whatever she can put together from me trying to explain to her from here cuz i can't go back in time Never mind the sizes, like the size can be, (laughs) it's going to be a rough guess at at best because they have the size I was back in July. We were hoping it'd arrive in time and then we could alter it if needed. But now if it needs alteration, I don't know how we're going to get that done. It's a logistical nightmare, to be honest.
1: Yeah, again, and I just remind people that we are not talking about a simple white dress. We're talking (laughs) about a really, really (laughs) elaborate, elaborate uh, headpiece, elaborate dresses. (laughs) It it's, had a big
3: train yeah. and everything. Like, it was a big, like, red scarf on the top for, for the head. And it had, like, a huge train on it, lots of diamonds on it. Then the top as well. The top was all completely embellished with, like, little sequins and beads. And I mean, it was gorgeous oh, from what I remember. Sounds amazing.
1: Sounds amazing. <laughs> and
3: then the skirts as well. It's all very heavy. You're talking about five, six kilos of a dress, like, and it's just how do you lose? It's not something small. How do you lose something that big, you know?
1: But, uh, and the mother of the bride outfit is, is yeah, missing as well. <laughs> my
3: poor mom; she's uh, she's also waiting for her outfit as well. But you know, and I keep saying, at least it's not. A, you know, it could if if it's both the dresses, fair enough. You know, that kind of way. Like at least we don't have like half of it, whatever. Like, but she's really stressed as well because for her to find a replacement too. Because we're all. In Pakistan, there's a big kind of trend of getting things made to your size. So it's not a thing of going to, even if we were to attempt going to, say, something like London and trying to find, like, some Indian-inspired outfits there, it's a thing of picking something off the shelf that's a small, medium, or large. It's not going to fit the way that our clothes have been altered to fit. And just to say I'm 5'2", like, you know.
1: Right, okay. An extra added, another another complication.
3: (laughs) Another problem, exactly. So, like, how am I supposed to find something that would be perfect for my height, my size, you know? It's not uh, that easy.
1: Mm. I... my heart, my heart. Uh, Trust West is on it. So you're getting married in Dublin and you're, you're in, hu- your yeah, husband-to-be is still, uh, and are you going to live in Ireland or live in, in the UK, in England?
3: Well, we, we've done the typical young person thing and we haven't really planned the future just yet. Right. We were kind of hoping, because this whole wedding, like a wedding is very, it's been very stressful. I never believed it until I was doing it myself. Like it's a very stressful thing to put together and to organise. So we were just kind of like, we'll take the time out make sure that's all done perfectly and then we'll work everything else out yeah. um, after everything is said and done
1: the way we wanted it to be. <laughs> and am, am I right? Is it like still that traditional way that the, the families are very much involved with each other oh, in the run-up to the wedding? This is a
3: union of families. This is a, a union of two families together. That's why it's such a big... It's a very momentous event for in Pakistani culture in terms of the family. Like The, the family is just as involved as the couple are. So it's very... This is why everyone's outfits are just equally important, you know?
1: Yeah, and do you match the bride's outfit with the groom's outfit? Yeah, we do. So the groom will be wearing traditional Pakistani
3: clothing. So it's completely based off what I had ordered already. So that's a whole different thing now. So if it does come that I'm a shade or two off the original colour, then we're going... Because we're talking red here, we're not talking white. So red can be in all sorts of shades. I had kind of a maroon still so kind of it was it was very i was very particular about the color as most brides are about these things i was very particular about the shade of red so now we have to somehow my cousin has to try find if we do have to get into that point to try find an exact replica can i
1: can i ask your dad uh, sarfraz how important yeah. was it for you to have your daughter i don't know if she's your your only daughter have you you have you more than one daughter
2: Yeah, I have two daughters and uh, one son. So it's uh, really so important. This is the event uh, of our most important part of our lives. And uh, we are looking so much forward to this uh, uh, big day. And I'm anxiously waiting and I'm very proud to be the, you know, he was (laughs) there
4: and uh, be there
2: for her. And uh, really, I you know, at the same I want to say one thing, Katie, That I honestly, we are not looking for any problem, for any issue, for anybody. Of course. And uh, sorry for any inconvenience. We are just looking for our parcel to be delivered. That's our only request. Only please, please, and post, please deliver the parcel to us. We are not looking for any issues. We don't want any problem with that for anybody. So just we're looking for our parcel. It's so important for us and we only have a few days now to 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 really uh, it's a kind of a one week almost one week now for 14th and then 22nd of october only few days left yeah so i hope i hope someone in enposs will pay attention to to all my emails to our phone calls and somebody will uh, take responsibility and do something about it yeah through your uh, through your uh, program and i'm so grateful for for taking us online and for uh, really your kindness and for highlighting this important issue. No, it's well, so is important for our family.
1: Yeah, well, you're, you're important to us as well. I know you're, you're a, a surgeon up there in Newry, and I know that uh, Heba is a radiographer. So you do important work as well. And the least yeah. you can expect is to have your wedding day as you had planned it.
3: No, honestly, going off of what Dad was saying, it's very, like, we are not people who complain. We don't do the whole, you know, write a complaint, you know, ring about something, get your money back. We don't do that kind of stuff. So this, for us, has been a learning experience because we've never had to... You know say hey sorry actually we don't have the thing we were supposed to get you yeah. know we've been very blessed in terms of not having to have a big traumatic experience to go and yeah. and then of all the things to I, go wrong this is
1: the thing to go wrong. the worst <laughs> yeah exactly listen uh, we will we, getting, yeah sorry
2: sorry one more thing yeah. i am really you know i just want to say for the last 27 years i have so much beautiful experience in ireland beautiful people lovely people i have so many very, very nice Irish friend. a huge, a huge regard for everyone. And this incident really has given us a kind of setback, oh. why this happened to us, why um, otherwise we have so much, a huge, big, very nice experience of our lives in Ireland and we love Ireland.
1: Yeah. Sarfaz, well mm. said, listen, and, and Hiba, the very, very best look. We will keep on this. We'll, we'll give you an update if we get anything at all or any whisper at all of what's going on. Uh, but uh, we'll all keep our fingers crossed for you. Sarfaz, many thanks. And Hiba, best of luck.
0: Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815.
1: And uh, we, as I say, we'll keep an eye out for uh, any news on that dress uh, for that family. Uh, we've been hearing from listeners now who want to support the call for, to properly honour the Clancy brothers. Um, there was a motion where we're seeing in the Tipperary Nationalist newspaper a motion calling for Carrick and Shure's historic town park to be renamed Clancy Park was unanimously passed at Carrick and Shure Municipal District monthly meeting uh, last Thursday um, and as I say just from mentioning this uh, with Louise earlier we're getting a lot of calls in saying uh, good idea we, we, we really need to do something because they were so huge and so influential uh, Frank Gillespie good afternoon
5: Good afternoon, Katie. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you doing?
5: I'm doing good. It's morning here. It's probably about a little after nine o'clock in Boston.
1: And um, you would have known the Clancy Brothers back in the day, Frank, would you? I
5: would have, yeah. I met them through the Furies. I used to do a lot of uh, work with the Furies back in the late 80s and uh, into the 90s. I actually did a lot of touring for them. I did a lot of shows for them all over America but uh, they were after playing Carnegie Hall one time it was uh, I think it was about the early 90s and uh, we were all staying in Fitzpatrick's hotel in New York and uh, I remember standing at the door and I seen these four guys walking up the streets have to get out of a taxi and lo and behold who was it only the Clancy brothers.
1: Were they wearing iron so, jumpers? <laughs>
5: They weren't wearing iron <laughs> jumpers that night he said it was chilly and they were wearing yeah they were wearing some jackets and stuff um normal normal gear they yeah. hadn't the uh the woolen sweaters on that night but anyway they came in and uh of course the furies were there lads were there we were sitting around having a drink and it was a big surprise to see the clancy brothers walk in and there was a lot of hugs and handshakes and of course uh we sat down around a, a big round table and uh i think It was in the early hours of the morning when we went to bed. But I often said I wished I had a tape recorder that night because anything like the songs and the poetry and the stories that went around that table that night, um, I could have written a book on it. But um, they were great guys. They were huge here in America. I first came to America in 1978. Mm -hmm. And all the older generation that were here All big fans of the uh, Clancy Brothers. I mean, they were actually huge here. They appeared on the Ed Sullivan show. Now, if you got on the Ed Sullivan show, you had it made. And it was one of the biggest recognised shows in America. The audience was in the millions. And uh, the lads went on there and they took off. uh, It is huge. Tell me
1: about the connection with Bob Dylan then, Frank.
5: Yeah, um, the story was that uh, this little whippersnapper of a kid used to go into the pub where they were playing. um, In in Greenwich Village, there was a couple of pubs around that area they used to play in. Um, I can't really think of the names of them. I know one was the Black Lion, but uh, he used to be annoying them. I heard Liam saying, he used to be annoying us, and coming up, can I sing, can I sing? And Eventually, anyway, just to keep them happy, they'd let him up and sing a song and eventually he started to follow them around all the pubs that they were in around New York and he became a kind of a, a popular guy to go up and sing with them oh Bob is here tonight Bob would you like to come up and sing a song with us and uh, that's the way that Bob Dylan started off and uh, I think I heard I can remember Liam Clancy saying one night that um, some record company asked them had they a harmonica player and uh, they said, well, we know a young player that plays the harmonica. Hmm. And uh, they got Bob to um, play the harmonica for this record company. And uh, they ended up signing Dylan to a big contract later on.
4: Wow. So they, so had they gave him his break, basically.
5: Dylan. They gave him his break. But there's one thing about Bob Dylan, I, I, and I, I'd be a big fan of Bob's. It's great to hear him sometimes always mention
1: well, the lads. As you should oh, say that, Frank, black. I think we have yeah. a clip of Bob talking about the lads. They just
4: reached a lot of people, you know, with their exuberance, their, their attitude. I mean, they're all great singers. They were all so different too, weren't they? Well, I never heard those kind of songs before, although, although I, I, I close up, you know, I, I'd heard them on records, but I, I hadn't heard them close up all the the legendary people they used to sing about uh, but but it was as if they just existed yesterday you were around them all the time and they just sang so many songs all all the time you just uh, you couldn't help but the first album i made I, i there was one song on it that it was an old song from i'd heard on an old banjo record someplace but i i did that song the way the Clancy brothers, I thought, would have done it, you know, if uh, you know, in their style. For me, I never heard a singer as good as Liam ever. He was just the best ballad singer I'd ever heard in my life uh, and still is probably. I, I don't think I, I can think of anybody who's a better ballad singer than Liam.
1: The best ballad singer I've ever heard in my life, Liam Clancy. That was Bob Dylan uh, in 1984 yeah. when he played Slain. Uh, you know, really as you say giving great credit to uh, to all the Clancy brothers
5: Yeah absolutely I mean Greenwich Village that time was probably like um, a Sunday at the Flark Hall in Mullingar <laughs> to be people out on the streets playing banjos and singing and music Irish music going up and down the streets and it was very well known Because the, club, well the, clubs, known the <laughs>
1: clubs used to close on the Sunday wasn't that it Frank and, and everyone spilled out yeah. and, and played on the streets
5: Everyone spelled out, and it didn't stop the Irish party. They did it on the streets. And uh, it became a place where people would, it became recognised, where people would go down there in their hundreds to, on the streets and listen to all the people playing the Irish music and singing. It was uh, an amazing. It was a festival every Sunday. And uh, they gave uh, Bob uh, a great um, kind of a, a push in his career and uh, fair play to him he didn't very well as they said the lad did well mm-hmm. but he never forgot so um, uh, we had a great night that night in, in Fitzpatrick's and as I said we spoke and drank half the night away and the stories and the music and the songs that were written and Simba Fury and Eddie would have um, played back up to the Furies or <clears throat> I shouldn't I don't like that word And I'm sure the lads wouldn't like me using it. But they starred with um, the Clancy Brothers back in 1968. They first went to America. The Clancy's brought them over to open up all their shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, they would have been on a lot of the TV shows and played in a lot of the concerts uh, over a couple of years, probably from 1969 to about 70. Mm -hmm. And uh, they'd had a great bond, the Furies and the Clancy's. And hence, the Clancy's were probably a lot got to do with uh, a lot of the groups that started up at home. The ballot groups It gave everybody a lot of inspiration back home, say the Dubliners and the Wolf Tones and all the ballot groups that started in the 60s. They were all probably, um, you know,
1: Influenced. Started
5: on, yeah, influenced by by the Clancy's. And growing up and going to school, I mean, uh, it was the thing. I mean, and I remember people knitting uh, those iron um, sweaters and sending them to the relations in, in America and stuff. P- people, there was a big high demand for those uh, sweaters. And uh, it, it was the big thing. And the still to this day, I mean, uh, the Americans love to go home and buy their iron sweaters. Uh, yeah,
1: they, they started re- that trend. They were a single-handed yeah. marketing phenomenon for, 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 for the sweaters. Were, and
5: you know, they were. They probably should have opened up a store at the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> probably should. Frank, will you will you hang on there? Because I have Finbar Clancy on another line. Finbar, good afternoon to you. Do I have Finbar there? We'll go to him in a minute. We'll go to him in a minute. Uh, I, I think we'll try yeah. and get him back up. Is that him? No. OK, I'm going to bring in Leo. Leo, good afternoon.
6: Uh, good afternoon. Can you hear me there?
1: Yes, I have you, Leo. Loud and clear. Yeah,
6: I'm here roaming around the zoo with my grandchildren, so <laughs> I take time out here. Um, yeah, uh, when we were young, and uh, I was, uh, I'm i uh, 48 of vintage, of um, course, when the Clancy brothers came to our hometown of Clonmel, and of course, they were never just the Clancy brothers, they were the Clancy brothers and Tommy Makem, and they came to play in our local Hall, the Connors Ballroom. And of course, us kids couldn't afford to go in there. So we all went up a laneway near the stage where they loaded their equipment down. And I remember there was a big crowd of us there. And whenever there was a lull in the singing, there was a local character. Uh, at, her name was, uh, well, I won't say her name. She she would roar out, come on, Tommy, make them sing in a broad Clomel accent.
1: <laughs> and were you all standing outside the door listening to them?
6: We were all we were all getting the free. We were right up by the stage. Uh, it was called the Premier Lane uh, because it was a it's a very old town. It's full of lanes, so uh, there would have been a stage door out down the end of one lane. So we were all just standing outside there. So we were more or less on the stage really. <laughs> and uh, as I say. She she wasn't going to let them be quiet for too long. She would roar in through the stage, through the door. Come on, Tommy, make them sing, in her her broadest clamel accent.
1: (laughs) They were really, Hugh, could you give that sense of how big they were, what massive stars they were at that time?
6: It's, it's, well, we all sing the songs, you know, I tell me, when I go home, the boys won't let the girls alone, they're up at the door, they're ringing the bell, please won't you tell them who she is, where she is or something It goes along like that. And then, of course, with the, fi- the holy ground, fine oh. girl you are. So we all had those songs at the tip of our
5: tongue.
1: Yeah,
5: there were great pop, and, uh, pop classes, Go Lassie, Go. We had Go Lassie, Go, I'm, all of I'm, those, I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm a, ra- yeah, a rambler, I'm a gambler. I'm a gambler.
1: I'm and a long I'm way, way from I'm home. home. I'm a long yeah, way from yeah, home. Yeah. Now, it, all it, the songs, it, it, it's the, funny,
6: you know, yeah. it, even though even though it was the time when, you know, the Beatles were starting, you know, you had you had great rock music or great pop music coming on, the uh, Chancy Brothers held their own. And, of course, the wearing of the iron sweater, getting an iron sweater was a thing as well, you know, so to ape them. Yeah. But uh, it, it's always important to mention that there were the Clancy brothers and Tommy Makem, and of course, he Tommy. Of course, comes from Armagh, and he'd be—he's um, you know, he, passed on now, but he would have been a member of the famous Makem, Makem family, who, who were great traditional traditional singers. Yes, and, I, uh, I heard. I heard. I heard Tommy actually once live myself a number of years ago singing. You know, he had a song called "With an Inking of an Inking of an i Day," with me Robo, bo Robo, bo Randy and you know it was kind of like um, a, a shoemaker it well. doing yeah, I know it well
1: Yeah, all of these songs yeah, honestly yeah. I've heard them all a million times You're in every, in yeah, every Pope yeah. session I've ever been in yeah. and they are all—they yeah, always yeah, get yeah. the whole place going always Yeah. I, well, I always. think yeah. I can bring yeah. Finbar sorry is that Frank I, Frank I think I might okay, I'm yeah. going to try Finbar again now I, see I, if we have I'm with
6: my
7: grandchildren okay. No.
1: <laughs> okay thanks Leo thank you for that enjoy the zoo uh, Finbar good afternoon
7: Good afternoon, Katie. How oh, are great. you? Oh, great.
1: There you are. And a lovely, uh, lovely line as well. Uh, Finbar, um, it must be lovely to hear these stories about about uh, the Clancy brothers.
7: It's fantastic to hear these stories and it's lovely to hear Frank talking about the places they used to play. The other place was the um, the White Horse Tavern, This used to play in Greenwich Village That's as well. Yeah. That's I was, was trying another, to think of it the name myself.
1: Out. Yeah, the White Horse. And
7: also... The, the Paddy Clancy introduced Bob Dylan to CBS Records, who they were signed with, and he also signed with them afterwards, to play harmonica on a Harry Belafonte album. That's what it was for. Really? Uh, they were, yeah, CBS asked him if they do a harmonica player, and they, uh, Paddy Clancy uh, suggested Bob Dylan, so that's how he got involved with and, CBS.
1: And Finber, obviously you're, people will know you now from the High Kings. Did you ever uh, play with them? Did you ever get a chance to be on stage
7: I certainly did. I had the good opportunity of performing with them for about three years, actually, uh, with both Paddy, my uncle Paddy, the eldest mm-hmm. brother, and my father Bobby Clancy, and mm-hmm. uh, even before that with Liam and Robbie O'Connell as well. Because in September of '95, my dad Bobby had a quadruple bypass operation, and because I played the five-string banjo and sang, he said, "Would you go instead of me?" Because he was out of action, I was only for about—I uh, think it was the short enough tours, about six
2: shows—and
7: mm-hmm. I went over and uh, talk about an eye opener when I saw the effect these folk songs had on the American audience. I thought to myself, I was just astounded at the reaction that they got all these songs, and um, I'd become—I mean, I always was a fan of Irish folk music—but I think that really sent me over the edge, and I thought I need to get in on this now. You know, I need to—I need to start singing the ballads because at that stage, up to that point, I was. Believe it or not, I'm bald as a coot now, but I had long hair, <laughs> <laughs> and I played bass in a in a rock band. But I, uh, I I changed after after doing that tour. It made me realize that uh, the folk music really resonated a lot more with, with people with than audiences. any song.
1: And tell me, what what was it? Because was it was there was there a nostalgia for the old sod that that, that made them so popular in America, or was it something about the way that the the Clancy Brothers approached that music, those old traditional uh, airs and that?
7: I think it certainly was a lot to do with how they approached the songs and how they arranged the songs. Um, I think some of the songs, um, I know Brennan and the Moor, I remember my father telling me Brennan and the Moor was originally a a fairly slow model and song, but they came along with the idea of playing the guitar with the rhythm of almost like a horse galloping along, like a highwayman. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, it completely changed the song and it reinvigorated the song and energized the song. And I think it was also a great source of pride as well for a lot of Irish people because they started singing Irish folk songs in the 1950s before anyone else was over. So it was the first time uh, an American audience were really hearing folk songs. And uh, it really resonated with with millions upon millions of Irish Americans who felt uh, a sense of pride in their culture for the first time, I think.
1: And it would have predated like the explosion of the folk scene in the 70s, late 60s and 70s in, in, back at home, wouldn't it?
7: It would have. It was just before it um, because I remember Uncle Paddy saying, uh, somebody said, you're a folk musician. And he said, he didn't know what that meant. He said, we we're just singing songs that we knew from home. He said, but I think it was just, it was a, it was a, a thing that they were, they were the right place at the right time. They just happened to be singing songs um, that they knew from growing up. And uh, it, was, it was very in vogue at the time. Uh, folk music was making a big impact and they were just at the right place at the right time. It was just timing.
1: As a Clancy, you know, given that you have the name uh, and you're carrying on in the same business, um, do you have a huge pride in the, this, this uh, you know, legacy that that's still, and the love that's still out there for them, you know?
7: I, I really do. You know, I'm lucky enough. I'm um, my performing by myself and my fellow and the High Kings are performing. I'm actually in Holland. We're playing in Utrecht in Holland uh, this evening. Uh, We're on a Dutch tour. We're starting an Irish tour uh, from December until February. And Irish folk music has seemed to be, it's come back around again. There seems to be a massive appeal for the younger people, even, you know, teenagers and people in their early 20s are flocking to hear folk musicians and hear all the old songs that so, we grew up. So
1: it's not just it, the, it's it, not just the Wolf Tones, Finn Barr, is it?
7: Oh no, no. It's it's folk music in general. It's it's the Wolf Tones, the Dubliners. It's um you know, everybody. Everybody who sings folk music now are getting a, a great shot in the arm as the fellow says. And well, it's lovely well, to sing some of the songs that I sang with the Clancy brothers on stage with the hikings as well, night after night, you know. Brings back some lovely memories.
1: Why is it though? Why do you think young people who wouldn't have been around for the first wave of it, what what's the what's the appeal now do you think?
7: i think they're probably just hearing something they say fashion is cyclical i think it it could be the true for it's true for music as well i think they're probably just heard this music that they were they didn't even know exist it's got a fantastic rhythm to it um you can really tap your foot clap along to it and it tells a fantastic story as well it's it's like an oral history of ireland um and it's just something that they're they're hearing for the first time and it's like They've never heard anything like it before and it's Irish and it's their own, you know. And I think it's a sense of pride again.
1: Tell me, how many iron jumpers did your father have?
7: (laughs) (laughs) I think he had two or three of them, all right. (laughs) The funny thing with the iron sweaters is that they'd walk on stage. I used to wear one as well when I was with them. We'd walk on stage... But after the first song, the sweat would be bucketing out of you. So you take the jumper off just to walk on stage with the jumper, and then you take it off after the first song, or maybe the second song. Right.
1: Because
7: you couldn't, you couldn't play a whole concert with those sweaters. Because I couldn't imagine it. You yeah. sweat too much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But do you still have them? Do you still have those from from your oh, dad's there's a few, time?
7: Yeah. There's a, oh, there is. Yeah, I do. Yeah. There's, they're, they're at home in the in the family home in William Street, uh, where they all grew up. Mm-hmm. In William Street and Carrick and Shore.
1: What do and, you think? Uh, what yeah, what do you think about this proposal now to um, to name the public park?
7: I think it's a great idea. I think it's a lovely idea. I know there's there's a number of things we have on, in Carrick already. I know there's the Clancy Brothers Festival, which is the first bank holiday weekend in June. Um, I know that the, the Nagel Community Centre was renamed Clancy House. There's a couple of murals in the town at, at the Gable End, uh, the house beside the house that they all grew up in. There's a mural of the Clancy Brothers. And there's also another one and the Tannery Bar as you go at the West Gate a mural of the of the of the Clancy Brothers as well. But I think, you know, I'm I'm a massive fan of theirs and I think they really put Ireland on the map. Especially when it comes to folk music. And uh, I think it would be a fitting tribute to to a band that really made a difference to an awful lot of people's lives.
1: Uh, Finbar, would you hang on a minute? I need to take a break and but I've got uh, Charlie Miguette on another line and I I I'd love for the two of you to to be on after these.
0: Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715
1: 815. And let me bring in Charlie now. If you're there, Charlie McGettigan.
8: Hello, Katie. Hello, wait to Charlie. Hear you talking about, wait to hear you talking about the Clancy Brothers. You know, something I don't, I don't think people... When the Clancy Brothers were, were successful in America, they've made the people in Ireland suddenly realised what a rich tradition we have and what wonderful songs, tunes that we have in this country. And I often wonder, would, would we be where we are today? Because they, they made a social change as well because suddenly a new phenomenon sprang up in the country, the singing pub, what was known as the singing pub, where people went out Uh, And they got up and sang and there were groups and ballad groups singing in the pub. And women started to go into pubs for the first time because a man would take his wife out because it was entertainment, you know. Mm -hmm. And that all was, I think, was as a result of the Clancy Brothers. That, you know i don't think we've ever uh, you know had a phenomenon like them, and I don't think we would have had for example i don't know whether we'd have had Clanksty or whether we'd have had the party band or whether we would have had Gay Dunn because even Christy Moore would tell you that the Clancy Brothers were a huge influence on him, so a lot of the songs that he would have would sing would be Clancy Brothers songs when he was starting out. You know, they had a huge, a huge influence on, on the whole—not just the musical, but the social fabric of, of the country.
1: I know, and as I say, every one of those big hits—and uh, uh, there's so many of them—you uh, would recognize them if you were ever involved in any Kumali sing, <laughs> sing song at any family gathering in any in any of those settings, because they were all so—they they were the kind of song that everyone could join in on. They were just a very particular kind of uh, song that they popularized well
8: I was just looking here at a list of some of the songs that they you know we you think of Whiskey or the Devil the Wild Colonial Boy the mm-hmm. Wild Rover the Leaving of Liverpool the Holy Ground you know I mean uh, I mean f- f- phenomenal repertoire of songs and of course Tommy had Tommy had then his um, songs from his mother Sarah uh, Sarah Makeham. she had a whole collection of really old songs and t- uh, Tommy sort of turned them into something that people could identify with and sing along with you know Oh, Jakers! I mean, they must. Have, I was just checking through the, through the internet. There, they must have had at least forty albums. At least forty. No, not really, forty. Yeah. More.
1: The, the, yeah. the, the one that I always think of. Like, if you give me a, a Clancy Brothers song off the top of my head, I would always think of the "Would You Go, Lassie Go."
8: Oh yeah, great song. You know, and that was I think originally written by the McPeaks uh, who are a, another family folk band from Belfast. You know. And that song, is a people like James Taylor has recorded that song, loads of people all over the all over the world have recorded it. You know,
1: Bob Dylan was so right about Liam Clancy's voice, wasn't he? Uh,
8: well, Liam was also a great storyteller. You know, he'd always have a story to tell, and, uh, and it, indeed, his book is full of his stories. And uh, I've run into to Liam quite a lot down the years, and his stage presence—you know—he just had an. I mean, see, they were all actors. Originally, they, when they went to, to New York first, they were, you know, starring in off-Broadway and on-Broadway shows. Were they? Uh, I,
1: know, didn't, so, I didn't realize that they were actually. Oh
8: yeah, they were. They were. They were, I think they were part of a. Yeah, they were. They were part of the theatrical scene in Carrick and Shore, which would at the time when they were growing up would have been huge. You know, every nearly every town had a drama group putting on plays. Mm-hmm. So when they went over to, it, they were in television. One of them, Tom Clancy, I think, was in several television series, as well. You know, they they did acting before they actually sat, became famous as singers.
1: Right, so they had that stage presence. They had. Oh
8: yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. When Makeham and Clancy then, as a an offshoot, when it was Tommy Makeham, Liam Clancy, they were hugely successful here, and their band had people like Artie McGlynn and Nolan Casey in their band. You know, to, to augment the, the duo, and they were just just brilliant. And more new, t- say, the Turn of Valley Bay, all these other songs started to come in. They had a never-ending supply of songs. It was amazing.
1: And as a young musician yourself, I mean, people obviously, people who have no interest in, in, in you know, trad music might remember you from the Eurovision and Rock and Roll Kids, but y- you would have come from that tradition, would you, Charlie?
8: More or less, yeah. Uh, when when I started playing, I used to start playing in, in the pubs of Mundorn around 1966, and in those days, people would get up. You know, I, you know, you, you would call somebody. Had the noble call. You say, Johnny, come on up for a song. And, and inevitably, it would be uh, a Clancy Brothers song. They would all know, and everybody would join in. And you know, even in the small town of Ballyshannon, where I grew up, um, several b- ballad groups. There was one ballad I can remember. You know, they were all going to be the new Clancy's. There was one band called the Thatchers, because they used to drink in the in the Tatch pub. And uh, But everybody, everybody knew the words. And I think it gave us a great pride in what we had. We had literally, people would have thought of Irish music as diddly-eye, you know, oh, Jekyll, that old diddly-eye stuff, you don't want to be doing that. But when they suddenly saw how well-respected it was abroad, and particularly in America, and how successful it was, it made them realise, Jekyll, we have all of this. And, you know, when you think, you know, the amount of people, somebody talked about the fly earlier on, I think the FLA as well, you know, it, it developed uh, because of the Clancy brothers, because people could sing songs. And when you think of it nowadays, the flat Blacke on the Hare has 10,000 uh, uh, competitors in the flat, and usually a footfall of, of about 300,000. You know, so our music is respected all over the world, and now, it's, you know, there's several resurgences. I mean, the Pogues had a, brought it back again when they did their style of music. And now, right up to date, you've got, you know, the Whistling Donkeys and the, and, and the you know, the, all these new bands that are coming up, all young people, all singing Fancy Brothers songs and Dubliner songs and stuff like that. You know, so it's getting it's getting another lease of life now.
1: Yeah, that was Finbar. Finbar, are you still there with us, Finbar?
8: I'm still here. Hello, Charlie, how are you? Hello, Finbar, good to hear you. Good uh, to hear
6: you, too.
1: That, that, that social change is really important, actually, to note, isn't it, that the that, 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 that it was the Clancy brothers and the music that they, they were popularising that actually drove that singing pubs uh, phenomenon of the 60s
7: and 70s. I think it is. I think it was a it was, it was was a change in culture. I think people were, like Charlie rightly said, going out to the pub and uh, bringing their wives with them and making a, a social occasion out of it and having a, a few songs and having the crack, as we say. Mm-hmm. And that kind of started all of that because the songs were so well known and everybody knew them that everyone could join in in the songs. Yeah. And uh, it was a real kind of, added the sense of, I suppose, community in a pub, if you, if you, if you will, if everyone is all singing along and doing the noble call and all those things. And also, uh, Charlie was right about them being actors as well, because the original plan was, believe it or not, they all wanted to be actors. And the plan was that they went to Canada first, they went from Canada to Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. and they were supposed to go from Cleveland, Ohio, onto Hollywood, but the car broke down and they hadn't enough money to make it to Hollywood. So they said, we'll stop off and we've enough to go to New York. So we'll go to New York and we'll save up more money and then we'll go into Hollywood. And they started putting on plays in the Cherry Lane Theatre in uh, New York. But in order to raise money to put on the plays, they put on performances. I remember Tommy makem says they had to join Equity, the actors union. So they only got paid maybe $20 for putting on a, for bu- putting on a play. But if they sang a few songs, they could make a hundred and twenty dollars. So they were making far more money for singing than they were at the acting. So they said, "Oh, here, we'll give this singing thing, a, 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 thing a, a lark a go for a while instead," and it just kind of snowballed. I don't think they would expect it to be as big as it was. You know?
1: So they're basically failed actors, is what you're telling me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hang on, Finbar, will you and Charlie? I've got Jude. Uh, I just want to bring some of our, our listeners in because a lot of people. Are, uh, you know, have huge amount of time for for the Clancy brothers. Uh, Deirdre, good afternoon.
9: Hi, how are you? Katie, good, how you? Good. doing? Thanks very much. I was brought to see him and Clancy as a as a young uh, a young girl. My parents were very um, very fond of um, very particular that we understood our our culture and our heritage. And indeed, my mum, as Charlie said, um, often mentioned Sarah. Sarah Makeham and her her huge knowledge of songs of what she had passed on to Tommy. I remember hearing Tommy Makeham sing um, Four Green Fields" like nobody else. I never I've never heard a rendition of Four Green Fields" like what he did. And as a young girl, I remembered that fabulous song that Lee Clancy used to sing: "Mary Mac's Father Wants Mary Mac to Marry Me," and he gets the whole. That's a family uh, favorite, a family, favorite,
1: a family and favorite in our house. And another day, I'll yeah. sing it for you, Deirdre.
9: <laughs> oh, it was great memories, and, and I've been to see the, the the High Kings as well, and I love to see. You know all those songs being um, being sung, but I mean it's a it it is a great pride to have. It's great that we have those memories, but it's a great pride to have those songs and to hear those songs still being sung. And you know, really, to Finbar, I've been to see you. I've been to see you twice. Every time you're in Ireland, I always try to to go and see you. I think your songs are, I think you're I think they're fabulous, and I I, I love to hear some of the the Clancy songs and and the and well both Time Makem and and Liam Clancy, all their songs being being sung again.
7: It's Fabulous. Oh, thanks a million. Really Thank amazing. you so much. Thank you very much indeed
9: please come to Ireland more often <laughs> I keep seeing you guys playing in Germany and Holland are they, when are
7: you coming home <laughs> we're going to be doing a big tour in December January and February so we're going to be in Ireland okay. for three months touring all over the place so you have plenty of time oh, ample time to come see us.
1: Okay. that's great okay. to know Absolutely. Well,
9: I'll, uh,
0: I'll see you then mate.
1: thank you very much thanks for that You're hang on, please hang on Finn, and Charlie we're going to take another break
0: talk to Joe on 0818 715 815 Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815.
1: We've got a lot of fans of the Clancy's uh, 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 calling in. Anne, good afternoon, Anne. Hello? Hello, Anne. How are you? Oh, um, eh, great. Thanks very much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you would have seen the Clancy brothers uh, back in the day as well?
10: Yeah, well, actually, it wasn't really. I was telling your researcher there, it was as a child. Um, I remember them calling in. My father had a pub, Noel still has it there, uh, Nallows Carrick, but um, he, daddy had bought it off a, a man called Tom McCluskey Lord of in the Mall, and uh, Tom had the daddy come running down all excited. Oh, there's oh, people up here, the Clancy's, so of course, went up and. And um, the crack was mighty, so it was. And it was, we were under the impression, Tom actually had come home. When he came home, he built Beachmount So he used to be organising and booking bands. And we um, were told at the time that uh, he was our manager. So whether it was or not, I don't know. Tom McCluskey was his name. But, uh, and then, of course, years and years later, then uh, Leo himself, Laura Merson, was playing down in Armagh. Mm-hmm. and made uh, friends and I, we went down and it was just such a, a magnificent evening. Like the, the timbre of his voice, particularly I felt telling a story.
11: Mm-hmm. Uh,
10: he was a magnificent singer, but when he told stories, he just brought you to a different place with the way he was so involved in it and involved the audience. You'd have just heard a pin drop It was amazing, the... the Way
1: he could deliver it, you know. Yeah, that was the Charlie. That was the that was the point you were making. That was the theatrical flair and training.
8: Yeah, and one one other thing, they had a huge influence in rock in rock and roll music. When you think the first song that that Tin Lizzie, uh, the great Philip Linnet and Tin Lizzie, uh, made them famous was Whiskey in the Jar, and that was originally a Classic mm. Brothers song. Uh, they they sang that in a completely different way but the, you know they had a huge you know the leaving of liverpool you know great great song it's, a, it, it's an endless list you know the wild colonial boy carrick fergus the wild rover leaving you know where, there, there so many
1: where did they source their songs from charlie well because... i just i just think Finnbar
8: would probably be better able to answer that than me but I, certainly tommy sourced his from his mother sarah but but i where they where the Clancy's heard them, and because they, there were so many of them, would they have learned them at home or
1: where? Finbar, do you know?
8: There would have been some of them.
7: They would have got from my my father when he was over in the in the fifties in America. He bought a quarter inch reel to reel recorder, mm-hmm. and he went working for my grandfather then. But what he used to love to do is he used to love to collect old Irish folk songs, and he collected an awful lot of the songs that they went on to to sing, and he travelled all over Ireland and to kind of archive these songs that we thought they were going to die out. So a lot of them were just very old songs. That I, Sarah Maycomb, of course, had hundreds and hundreds of songs that she knew from memory. So they probably got a good few from Sarah
4: uh-huh.
7: uh, through Tommy. And I, I think, you know, my father Bobby as well definitely collected a lot of songs because I know he was saying that they'd come home and they're looking for new material for an album and they'd always say, any good songs <laughs> recorded lately, you know? And uh, he'd he'd go through and give them a few songs.
1: Yeah, just because they were just just incredible songs that are, you know, last, you know, last the the, the last the time, you know, that that uh, they they never grow old. Basically, um, can I bring in Rona? Rona, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Yes, you've been listening to us talking about the Clancy's.
12: Yes, yes, I have fond memories of being it was back in eighty four. I was on a J one in. New Hampshire, friends, we all from college, we went out and we were working in a small American inn and they had a little Irish bar there. And uh, the Clancy's, their nephew, Robbie O'Connell, used to play there in the bar and we got to know him. And he told us that the Clancy's were coming to the casino on Hampton Beach that weekend to play a big concert. So our boss got very excited because he was a huge a fan, he was an Irish-American man and he said, we have to get them to stay here in the inn and we got that sorted and we had to clean the rooms, it was royalty royalty were coming to stay, we had to get the place cleaned up and we all got tickets to go see them and then our boss John said, now make sure now they come back for a drink in the bar afterwards so three of the Irish girls, we told them to come back, they came back to the bar our boss was nowhere to be seen so we said, what do we do, so we opened up the bar and Tommy, Paddy Bobby, myself and my two friends drank the night away <laughs> in the bar. <laughs> and we thought then, we, maybe we should have a donation jar to put some money in so we, you know, to we didn't know what to do about paying for the drinks. And we had a great <laughs> night of storytelling. Tommy and Paddy, they acted out everything. It was just brilliant. And then years, roll on years later, um, oh, the next day our boss, of course, was mortified that he'd forgotten <laughs> and he missed a great night. And uh, <laughs> then years later, I was living in Los Angeles and the Clancy's were again were playing a concert. And friends of mine, Americans, said, oh, my gosh, you said you know them. Come and let's go see them. And I thought, oh, gosh, I don't really know them. So we went to see them anyway. And afterwards, they said, go on backstage and say hello. So I said, OK, we went backstage. And they remembered me. And they said, come on now, off to the hotel. We're having a drink. So we went back to their hotel. And again, a few drinks were had. Um, again, not Liam. I'd never met Liam, but it was Bobby, Tommy and Paddy. And lovely gentlemen. And uh, another time, I met them at an Irish fair in America. And again, they remembered me. They were just lovely, honest, you know, very oh, I'm assuming stars, you know and yeah. it's lovely to hear Finbar there. there, your dad was lovely, Bobby was lovely man
1: Oh, thank you yeah. very much uh, They're you. lovely yeah. stories, Rona, lovely stories and obviously they were mad for the crack
12: <laughs> Yes, oh gosh, I have photographs of <laughs> great times, we oh, were just young Irish girls having a, a chat with them and just you know, they were just lovely, lovely men, you know <laughs>
1: Uh, Ronald, thanks for that uh, we have Ray on another line Ray, good afternoon
13: Good afternoon Katie, how are you? Great to hear all the talk about the Pansy brothers I remember them when I was a, a youngster in the I never, didn't know them well, but my grandmother used to be going about her business in the kitchen in Williamtown County Galway, and she'd be thinking whiskey or my dad and drunk or sober, <laughs> whiskey or the devil, and she liked her her drop of whiskey. I must have inherited that from her. But uh, <laughs> uh, the classes they, they were big, and all the, the iron sweaters and everything like that. I remember then in the seventies. I I we've had a concert or two with Liam and, and Tommy and then the eighties again. So when Galway and the Olympia and everything, they never ceased to to amaze me. And Liam's sweet voice is beautiful when he, whether he's saying a poem or, or or singing. And he's the only one he, I he, I have it on, on in the car, I think uh, the Roseville Fair. We danced all night to the fiddle and the fabric. So his song his voice is so melodious. I saw them toward the end uh, in Castle Bar, in the 2008 or sometime I think he was the last man standing and he was so nice and so good and he sang so much it was just beautiful everything from the garden song to, to the, the cobbler to everything Tommy Macon was a hero as well I, I they'll go down as my childhood and teen memories As of course they were Ireland's Beatles
1: Ireland's Beatles yeah that's exactly it uh, well said Ray uh, can I get to Noreen I'll get Noreen in Noreen good afternoon Good afternoon Katie. Um, So you were living in Boston uh, in the the 60s?
11: Yes I went to Boston as an immigrant in 1967. I was 14. I first heard the Clancy's, even though I didn't know who they were in 1969 on the television. I think it was a program called PM East PM West and um, it was only when I returned to Ireland in 1962 that I realized I lived within five miles of Carrickonshure mm-hmm. at the time. And um, I met a chap um, first Friday night I was home, and it turned out he was a next door neighbor of the Clancy's in Shore. And um, then I discovered who, they really were.
13: Mm-hmm.
11: And I was already a fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we followed them all through their career. Uh, I was telling your researcher, Holly, we were in London in 1964, and they played their first ever concert in England, in the Fairfield Halls in Croydon. And and we went uh, to the concert with Michael's sister and uh, his friends, who another chap from Carrick, Joe Gilman, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed the concert. A huge crowd. It's a big hall. And uh, we went backstage and we met them. Um, and uh, we have followed them ever since and loved their music. And I became friends with um,
4: yeah.
11: Paddy when he settled down in Craig Paddy and his wife Mary and their family
13: mm-hmm.
11: and I heard wonderful stories from from Paddy uh, about their time uh, and they were just fabulous okay no Nori- and by the way sorry I'd just like to say that it was mrs. Babington in the main street who always supplied their their um, Aaron jumpers right. yeah. Mrs mrs Finbar that's Finbar. Yeah. Yes. Hello, Mrs. Barrington. Hello,
1: Finbar. Hello, Noreen. Fair <laughs> yeah. play to you, Noreen. We needed to get that out there. Mrs. Barrington hey, uh, needs the needs the uh, credit for the Iron Jumpers. Uh, sh- can I get in, Sean? Have I time? I do. Sean, come on. Uh, your memories of the Clancy Brothers.
2: Hello, J V. Yeah.
14: Um, well, I lived in America from the day I was born till I was eleven, and I was home on holidays and. Uh, Tom came to visit my uncle, Martin uh, Heaney. He was a pal of the, Joe Heaney, who was my uncle. He was a Shano singer. Mm-hmm. And they came around and I, I remember meeting Tom. He was fascinated by the whole Connemara thing and nights of song and merriment and everything. And then I went home to Boston and we saw them in concerts in Boston itself. A, a massive gig. And then when we came home to live in Ireland, uh, Liam and Joe Heaney came around to Carna again. And they had a little concert in Mac's pub. It was just unreal, Tom. um, Liam playing his guitar and then Joe singing and back and forth. And a few years before he died, I was down in the ring Mm -hmm. on a visit. And I, I reminded Liam about meeting him before and this and that. And I asked him to sing The Shoals of Herring for me. It's a particular song to do with uh, fishermen, I think, in maybe Nova Scotia. And he sang it for me that night. And it was such a lovely memory that he did it. But they were... They were groundbreakers. I mean, you know, you mentioned Bob Dylan earlier and his song, With God on Our Side. It's, it's, it's the tune of the Patriot game. You know, they learned so much. People have learned so much from the Clancy brothers, and they were such groundbreaking gentlemen. And it's great that the, the program has been on them, and per se to you.
1: And such groundbreaking gentlemen, and such gentlemen uh, from everything we've ever heard uh, about them. We need to take our last break.
0: Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815.
1: And I must say, I absolutely love that. I thought we might be able to squeeze in a bit of the parting glass. I'll have to go home and put it on for myself. Uh, One of my favourites of all time. On sound today, we had James Feeney, a broadcast coordinator with Shane Galvin. Uh, Today's programme was produced by Siobhan Hogan, and the series producer was Annette Egan. Uh, I'll stand by now for Ray, but uh, have a great weekend.
0: 0818 715 815 stays open until 315 p.m. Or email joe at rte.ie.